there was a movie called Major Pain. I don't, uh, I never promote movies. Just using it as an illustration. But it was a comedy about a drill sergeant, like one of the uh, number one army people to the point where he had won all the wars for the country. He'd done everything he could. There was nothing left for him to do. So they assigned him to be the drill sergeant of about 10 to 12 misfits at an army boarding school. Again, comedy. One of the scenes I always loved was uh, Major Payne brought the pain for the kids. Um, made them do a lot of physical uh, work, exercises, like used live herring grenades and uh, exercises just to scare them a little bit. They all hated Major Payne. The one who brought the pain, they hated. And yet, um, in one of the scenes, one of the dads comes, it's like parent weekend. He comes slobbering drunk, um, and suddenly you can tell the roughest kid in the batch um, why he is the way he is, and his father's uh, just being mean to him. And Major Payne kind of steps in front of the boy and kind of, Actually, I think he kind of, he might even took a swung. No, he didn't. The, the father tried to swing at him. But the point is, it was very interesting to me that the one who brought the pain also protected. From that moment on, you can kind of see a, a, a change. Even though they're going to go through a lot of grueling discipline, um, they also understand that this same guy that disciplines them so much is also the one that has their back and will absolutely put himself before them. If any trouble comes, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, these instruments that a shepherd would use could bring comfort, uh, but a lot of times they brought discipline. So I want you to think about that as we go on this morning. Let's look to the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much uh, that you are the great shepherd, um, that again, you would use examples for all of eternity. Uh, Lord, instead of... There's so many titles that would be good for you. And sometimes, again, I think the fact that you would uh, claim to be a shepherd... Um, there's so many other things that would seem more mighty, more powerful, and yet you would seem fit to call yourself the great shepherd of our souls. And so thank you just for your own humility and your own power and your might and how all that works together in your character. Lord, we pray again that your spirit would control me, that we would be a people that would listen and take action to what you would have us to hear this morning, that we would draw near to our Savior, that we would be a people that would have an effect on the world. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. A rod and a staff. What's up, guys? You made it. Is it just you two? Oh. You snuck in when I was praying? That's like against church rules. Welcome, everyone. Glad you're here. All right. Rod and a staff. 
I would like, it's my conviction too that there's two. Some people will say there's only, this is one tool used by the shepherd. I don't think so. Uh, the staff is what you almost know of yourselves, the shepherd's hook. Kind of like the cane with the hook at the end. They lean on it. They use it to walk. A rod sometimes could have been a short, um, almost piece of wood with a wooden knob at the end, kind of carved. And uh, really what it was is a weapon, a weapon to attack those that would attack the sheep. Um, it would also be a tool to discipline the sheep that go astray. If you might imagine, again, uh, remember when we talk about discipline and sheep wandering off, and even some of these tools, it's hard to imagine in our day and age, we have fences, we have dogs that corral the sheep. Not so much at this time. If you are in an open field just out in the country, and your sheep or one or two start to really walk away, and you are kind of far from them, and you know, when you run after a sheep, I would think they don't just stop and look at you and say, I'm sorry. You could actually kind of push them even further. Sometimes a shepherd would take a rod and throw it at the sheep. Might bring a little pain, but then they knew I've gone out of the boundary. Exact same thing with my dog, Stella. I don't throw a rod at her, but I do remember her having to learn what an electric fence was. And the only way she would learn is to get zapped. And it was actually horrible because I remember training her and it seemed like she wouldn't go up to the fence and she hears the beep and she knows, hey, this isn't good. And then one day, like three or four days after we installed it, here comes someone walking in my neighborhood with a dog. That and, and well, that's a whole other story of neighbors and their dogs. But this person wanted that dog to play with my dog and and Kim's like, oh, no, she's going to break the fence. And I remember saying, she's got to break the fence if this wants to work. So she ran, went through the electric fence, heard the, ah! Now she was freaked out because now she doesn't want to go back over the fence. <laughs> All that stuff. But the point is, it created boundaries. She had to do that. Um, and with the sheep, there was times where a shepherd had to take this rod, inflict a little pain, so that they might stay with the sheep. When things were um, even worse than that, if a sheep was stubborn, and it, I do love Psalm 23, whenever we talk about even saying things like when sheep are stubborn, we should all be thinking, oh shoot, we're all talking about ourselves. But sometimes there is a truth to a shepherd would go and break the legs of the sheep. Now, what I didn't really realize was, I've kind of heard of this before, but I was like, well, that stinks. And then I'm just thinking there's a veterinarian somewhere, and the sheep has a cast. And, and I mean, that you know, it's just funny when you read the Bible sometimes, you're suddenly in 2022 again. Um, but this had the idea of when the shepherd would break their legs, that's when he would carry the sheep until they were mended. So now by doing this action, by inflicting pain, this sheep constantly wanders off, constantly wants to get in trouble. He might break a leg with the rod, and now he's going to carry that sheep the whole time. And it is intimate, and it is close. And let me tell you something else just um, that is um, kind of gross, but as I was looking at this, 
you know, as he carries that sheep, sheep are dumb. They don't sit there and go, oh, excuse me, I have to go to the bathroom now. So as a shepherd would break uh, sheep's legs and then carry them, they would actually be peed on and defecated on by the sheep as they are going through the healing process. Now, you can sit there in that picture for a long time with you and your Savior of just all that that would mean when we go astray and he tries to discipline us. But as we talk about discipline, it's not the most favorite topic of the believer. Um, I don't think it's a good topic really for non-believers. No one really likes to be disciplined. But I want to remind us how God does it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It might be a familiar passage to you. It says here in verse 5 of chapter 12 of Hebrews, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening... God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. We have a word for that, you know, strong language. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When does God discipline? I want to remind us, of all the times even you hear sometimes maybe the world's mistake of, oh, God's going to shoot us down with lightning bolts and things like that. I am constantly reminding myself, he said this over and over, that the Bible would say he is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. When someone is disciplined by God, be it even as a believer now, that means they have had a long streak of stubbornness. You've got to know that. And you've got to know that in your own personal life. We don't have to be afraid of God's discipline if we confess our sins and put it out there and move on. But to the one who is stubborn, who refuses to submit, who refuses to obey and wants to live the life they want to live, God will discipline them. But it's a slow process. And I enjoy that very much by my God. I don't know about you. I'm glad he's slow to anger. There's a lot of things I could do They could get him angry right away. That's the tough part about being a parent sometimes. Your child does something, and you might want to just blow up in anger for what they did, and maybe it was an honest mistake. God's not like that. God's not like that. He's slow to anger. So when he disciplines, by the way, it will always be in love. What does it say about him? If this is comforting, he's treating you like family. I want you to understand what this, pro- what this passage is talking about. When you don't discipline someone 
at times, that means you're not that close to them. Family's the only one where real punishment can kind of take place. It's kind of like God's ordained structure for it. There's other places for it, but you'll never punish someone like you would in your own family. You wouldn't do that. He is saying, you are my family. Again, I don't know about you, but um, I was spanked as a child. But I'll tell you what else. My aunts and uncles, they didn't spank me, but they had, I feel like there was some physical something, corporal punishment going on. I understood that, you're, you know, it might not be the same as mom and dad, but I'm not getting away with it either. Okay, and I might have told this story before. It was about two Christmases ago, I think. There was a big family Christmas dinner. And my Aunt Nancy said something like, the older people are going to line up first. And I said, you know what? I'm a man. I don't need to listen to my Aunt Nancy. I'm a man. And I got in line, and she looked at me, and she said something like, go to the end of the line. And I said, I'm a man. And she slapped me, not in the face, but she hit me pretty hard, looked at me and said, go to the end of the line. And so I did. My children, instead of comforting their father, said, oh, I thought you were man of the house. What happened to Aunt Nancy? I said, that's Aunt Nancy. I lose. Family does something different when it comes to discipline. If God is disciplining you, there is comfort in knowing he's treating you like family. He's treating you like family. What does his discipline do? What is it supposed to produce? It says here in verse 10, I'm going to read another translation, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. That's number one. It's for our good that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it he disciplines us not only for our good but that we might have a harvest of righteousness okay i'm okay with that as well the one i like is peace a peaceful harvest of righteousness we are living in a world where chaos seems to abound it's out there on the political spectrum it's out there in our government but it's also in so many homes you will hear people say, regardless if they have kids or not, their marriages, it doesn't matter. My house is chaos all the time. All the time. There is nowhere to go to just find peace. And people try to go different places for it. I want to let you know that, again, one of the things about his discipline is to bring about peace. So that sometimes as he's punishing us, so we think, Maybe, and again, I have no idea what's going on in your life, but sometimes I feel like that's the punishment. Living in a house full of chaos all the time. 
that sometimes is in direct correlation to you not coming under the discipline of God. Again, a lot there, a lot there. There's different examples, things like that. I'm talking in general. Just remember, he wants to bring you peace, and he'll discipline you for it. Tom Landry, I thought, said it best. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they have always wanted to be. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they do not want to do in order to achieve what they have always wanted to be. Number one, I'd like to remind us to have goals spiritually. Goals for your family, goals for yourself individually, goals for this church. And yet, what you want will not come easy. Everyone wants to win the Super Bowl, but the good coach is going to make them do whatever it takes in order to be champions. Is that how we see God disciplining us? The rod was not only used for discipline, but defense against danger. It was a shepherd's weapon. The interesting thing about it is that the shepherd would have to go close to the enemy to run at him to actually use it. If you think about this, bows and arrows are pretty uh, easily accessible at this time in history. You're sitting there out in the field. Here you come see a lion maybe coming, a bear maybe coming at your flock. Why not just carry a bow? Kind of stay kind of safe. If you miss, you lost the sheep. You're safe, though. The rod was something intimate and, and up close, up close. Sometimes they would have to have it because you weren't expecting the attack of the enemy. They would say things like, again, as we talk about walking through those valleys of maybe you're sitting there and there's poisonous snakes that are ready to just lurch out at you. And you were just completely caught off guard. And all you have, this is where the shepherds were trained, they would quickly be able to take their rod, throw it at the snake, do what they had to do to defend the sheep and even to defend themselves. Remember that David talked about this in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Right before he goes to fight Goliath, he's sitting there saying, hey, listen, I've beaten the lion and I've beaten the bear. He probably used a rod. And as I looked at this story again, uh, sometimes I forget because I because in my own mind, I can't even imagine like I know this is a real story because it's in the Bible. But how does that work? How does David actually kill a lion like that? I feel like that's God kind of doing a miracle like he just kind of swung once and the lion died. If you read in first Samuel 17, it says he actually grabbed it by its mane. You, you can't get any closer. And it would seem like he beat it. He beat it to death with a rod. What is, as we switch gears a little bit here, because we're the sheep, not the shepherd, but what is our weapon against the enemy? Remember what Jesus used when attacked by Satan? It was God's word. God's word is very powerful. 
And when we are attacked by the enemy, it is the only weapon that works. And as I was contemplating this again with David, you know, no one really wants to go at it with a lion or a bear and have to club it to death. But I got to tell you what else. If I was David and I had never killed anything in my life and there stood a nine-foot-something giant in front of me, that's a different scene as well. At least he's got some kind of experience at taking down some kind of giant. And I think that's how it is in our spiritual walk. The enemy attacks certain ways we use God's word to attack. And sometimes he's building us up for even bigger enemies and bigger battles coming down in the future. A shepherd's staff. Keller in his book, The Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23, would say something like this. Whereas the rod conveys the concept of authority, of power, and of discipline, of defense against danger, the word staff speaks of all that is long-suffering and kind. It is what a shepherd would use to guide the sheep. He would gently take that staff and maybe gently hit the sheep when they were starting to go off the path. If they started to sway a little bit, maybe he would just kind of tap them. I've done this before. My students, uh, one of them is Desi. I think I've brought her up before. She has cerebral palsy. So when we go out in public now, she has a motorized wheelchair. Um, and sometimes I'm now trying to train her how to use those motorized grocery carts in the grocery store. Scary stuff. My, my line to my students is always this. Hey, guys, this is real life. Meaning we are actually in a grocery store. These people don't know you, don't care about you. If you run into those people with your cart, they are going to be mad. And I'm not sitting here as your teacher going, don't you talk to her like that. This is real life. Don't run into people with the grocery cart. <laughs> Let's learn how to do it. Why do I say that? Well, there was times, too, where she was going down the sidewalk in public, and I, in you know, my watchful eye as a teacher, I noticed she's not paying attention at all. A bird flew over here, I don't know, cookies over here in the store window, and she is quickly going into a student. And I've been hit by this wheelchair, by the way. It hurts, okay? Those things weigh a lot. They're motorized. It hurts. But one time, and this cannot leave this room, it was just it was just my instinct. She was going, I said, hey, boom. Hey, boom. She was, you know, not really tough, but, you know, I hit her. I hit her in the arm. I said, hey, you're going to run into those people. Two, you're going to cost me my job because you made me hit you. Stop doing that. And she started giggling. And again, that story stays here. But as sometimes that's the idea of this cane, is that as the sheep go somewhere, he's just going to gently, hey, hey, knock it off. Hey, stay with the group. He's guiding and directing. Now, the interesting thing is how we respond to that. In Jeremiah 10, 23, it says this. I know, Lord, that a person's way is not in himself, nor is it in a person who walks to direct his steps. How many of you have woken up in certain aspects of your life and said, I never thought life would turn out like this? It happens to all of us. As we walk along this journey of life, nothing is guaranteed. And we know this in our mind, but our actions 
do differently, we cannot control what happens to us. There's, I mean, we try at our best to control how life turns out. And there are so many things of life that are absolutely not in our control. And why do I say that? Because if we know this, why is it so hard to apply Proverbs 3 where it says, trust of the Lord with all your heart and all your mind. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We know life doesn't happen the way it is. So why is it so hard to say, God, I just need to acknowledge, I just need you to direct these paths for me. I just need to ask, is this the right thing to do or not? I just want to include you into the conversation. Rarely do we ask God, what should I do in this situation? And I have to tell you again, this is a faith thing. Because it seems like there's no power in praying, God, what do I do next? And yet, if you practice this in your life, you could talk to people in the room that do it. It's amazing how God gives you answers. And it should increase all of our faith. I've shared before, one of the biggest things I did was buy a house. I went $200,000 into debt. Now you know my mortgage, see? And yet, I, I remember praying with Kim going, I don't know how this works, but I need you somehow to tell me if I shouldn't buy the house or not. I, I, you're the unseen God. And, and, and quite honestly, I'm just telling you, I don't believe you can actually do this. <laughs> but I'm supposed to pray. And I'm supposed to say, God, if you don't want me to have this house, you got to somehow let me know. And it, amazing how God did that. Amazing. And that's really just a house. Are we those people that let him guide us? Do we constantly have a prayer life that says, God, what should I do in this situation? And if he doesn't answer, then that's not him. I say that with reverence. That probably means God's like, hey, you got choice. <laughs> But if you pray them to the Lord, what should I do here? He will guide you. We rarely ask for his advice. Elizabeth Elliot tells the story once of two adventurers who stopped by to see her, all loaded with equipment for the, rainfor the rainforest east of the Andes. They sought no advice, just a few phrases how to converse with the Indians. She writes, sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me, confident. And we think well-informed and well-equipped. But has it occurred to us that with all of our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? She suggests that we often ask God for too little. We know what we need, a yes or no answer, please, to a simple question or perhaps a road sign, something quick and easy to point the way. What we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases or things, but infinitely better is someone who's been there before and knows the way. Can you imagine Elizabeth Elliot knowing and being and walking among these Indians that they're trying to talk, and they're just like, can you just give us a few phrases to talk about? We got this. We got this. And I think we do the same thing with God if she says, Lord, I just need like the, the little part over here, and I got the rest. I got the rest. A staff would not only be used to guide the sheep along, but to draw the sheep close for examination. That shepherd's hook is actually interesting. You can see videos of this. Um, again, it's funny because, again, the, even the, the nowadays sheep videos, not that I watched tons of them this week, but 
uh, you can see the shepherd's cane and the sheep kind of walk away and they take that loop and not around their neck a lot of times, sometimes just their leg and they just pull them right in. And then they, it looks so funny. They kind of sit that sheep right down on its hiney and now the sheep's just sitting here like this. And the reason they're doing it is so that they can examine the sheep up close. And sometimes they actually take the rod in this or they used to back in the day because it would kind of open up that wool. The wool can be very thick and stuff like that. And they need to check out that sheep to see if there's any diseases, if there was anything that happened while it was out in the field, any cuts, any bruises. They're examining the sheep and they need to use that shepherd's staff to get them in so they can look closer. Remember the psalmist when he would say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. When is the last time we have wanted the shepherd to closely examine who we are? That we would want to be that close that he might with his staff go through the wool and go through everything to make sure there's nothing there that would harm us. Most of the time, we don't want the shepherd anywhere near us. We don't want any kind of examination at all. Don't tell me how to do life. I have this under control. Sheep are a dumb animal, and yet loving shepherds are constantly examining them. I feel like in this verse I got today, we've known that the rod can be one of discipline. We've known that it can be one for protection. We know that the staff could be used to guide us along the way. It's not like I am talking about anything new, but if it came to practical application, I don't want us leaving just thinking, okay, Lord, discipline me more. But I would ask, of all this rod and staff, all of God's discipline and guiding in your life, do you find it as a comfort? The interesting thing here in Psalm 23 is he says, the rod and your staff, they comfort me. The idea that you might break me down, even lame me, comforts me the fact that when i start to walk and do my own thing and i looks like there's precious grass right over here that i really want to go chow down on you take that staff and you bring me right back to where i'm supposed to be that brings me comfort that brings me comfort what i want to apply in my own life as i think about it yes i want more discipline yes i want more guidance but I want to look at my Savior and say, I'm thankful for what you do to me. I'm thankful for the discipline. I'm thankful for the guidance. I'm thankful that you protect me. But it's a comfort to know you have my back and you are willing to do whatever it takes to keep me in line. I don't know if we find comfort in the rod and the staff. I don't know if we look forward 
to God's discipline. For we know what the Bible says. It's never enjoyable at the moment. It's painful. But I'm going to tell you what, again, just like that sheep that was around the shoulders of the shepherd, because the shepherd's the one that broke its leg, got the best, the absolute best spot in the house. Right on the shoulders of the shepherd. You could not get closer. Guys, again, I'm not, I'm not hoping we all get disciplined. <laughs> I'm not hoping for pain. But I do hope that we find comfort that when it happens, the shepherd's got our back. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your rod and your staff. Lord, help us that we would live disciplined lives under you. That we would allow you to guide us. Thank you so much for your protection. Thank you that you are not scared to examine us. That nothing will shock you. That you know exactly what needs to be added to or taken out of our lives for our benefit. That you are a gentle shepherd. That for some reason you love being close to us. Help us, Lord, that these things might bring us comfort. That it might bring us peace and security. Thank you so much for who you are. In your name, amen.